Welcome to the latest episode of the Shaken and Stirred podcast. I'm Simon Hilgey and with me is Phil Milburn. Hello, Phil. Hi, Simon. Can we talk liquidity, Phil? Um, periodically, there's stories in the press warning of the potential of liquidity problems in the corporate bond market. Is this something people should be worried about? Worried about, I would say no. Aware of, yes. The corporate bond market is just fundamentally a less liquid market than many other of the developed markets that one would invest in, be it equities, government debt or anything else. Um, obviously, FX is the most liquid. Corporate bonds still, in my opinion, trade in a very antiquated way, trading on, on the basis of predominantly bilateral arrangements between the buy side fund managers and the sell side investment banks as opposed to being exchange traded, um, which we see most of the time in equities. Um, in the perfect world, all bonds would be um, exchange traded as well. Uh, but in reality, the, the hindrance to that is there's such an array of bonds. So there are thousands of bonds issued from various banks, whereas there's only one or two equities for each bank. And this becomes one of the problems when you try to source out liquidity. Of liquidity tends to coalesce around some of the larger deals, names, et cetera, et cetera, that you can actually always find a price in. And you find quite a few companies that almost becomes orphaned where nobody's making a price in it. Okay, because I was going to ask what that means in practice. Does that mean that sometimes it's just not possible to sell a bond? If you are buying very much off-the-run bonds, yes. And that's one of the reasons for us, um, David Roberts, Donald Phillips and myself, when we started at Lion Trust, um, obviously with zero AUM, um, we have made sure that we're making a scalable proposition. So we're only buying bonds that we're very cognizant that we can buy more of. Um, we want to be able to be confident that we can grow the funds and maintain the same shape. Um, so there are the way I best describe liquidity is it's about a 90-10 market. 90% um, of liquidity is in about 10% of the bonds. And this is really just to do with the fact that brokers, if you forgive the cliche, are in the moving, not the storage business. They no longer have a huge amount of capital and they tend to have a higher capital charge if they've had anything, be it a long or a short, on their balance sheet for more than a few months. So they always want to be confident they can sell something on or buy back a short before they'll take a position. So you tend to get liquidity, as I mentioned, in the big structures or in recent new issues as those bonds are recycled into the longer term holders of them. And what determines if liquidity disappears or reduces for particular fixed income? Uh, liquidity, um, and this is two cliches in the space of as many minutes, and the West way of describing liquidity is liquidity is a coward. It runs away at the first sign of trouble. Um, in reality, um, as I say, liquidity, a large determinant of it is that knowledge, that ability that you, that you can have as a trader um, facing against um, our industry, the fund management industry, that you will be able to get a reasonable price, a reasonable exit for your bonds. Um, so that determines whether they'll make a price the what size it is in depends on risk appetites at the time. But as I say, liquidity can very quickly um, evaporate in the hard times. 
So as an investor, this is more about prevention than cure in terms of selecting the right fixed income stocks in the first place in a portfolio. Yes, we have nothing fundamentally against illiquid fixed income instruments, uh, fixed income instruments that rarely trade. Um, but, and this is a massive but, we just don't think they're suitable for open-ended investment vehicles that can rapidly grow or shrink. If you're a, running a closed-end vehicle, either a buy-and-hold or a runoff type vehicle or an investment trust, then buying illiquid bonds is absolutely fine. You get paid more on a liquidity premium. But when you're trying to generate alpha and you've always got one eye on your entry and your exit price, um, then liquidity is something that should be extremely valued. And will the reduction in investment banking capital um, to trading credit create more volatility, do you think? Um, this is actually something where uh, I think I'm remarkably non-consensus um, in that I think for small moves in the market, for small uh, bouts of volatility, the reduction in investment banking capital that we've seen really since 07 onwards um, might exacerbate them a little bit uh, as the investment banks try to make sure they're not on the wrong side of any move. You have to remember the investment banks are not a charity. They're there to make money out of um, us and therefore eventually you, the unit holders. Um, so we're well aware of that. But the investment banks aren't our best friends. They are there to make money. But for large moves, this is where I've got the non-conventional view, but I am convinced I'm right. Um, investment banks have really don't create any more volatility of uh, having less capital. Why is this, you'd ask, and quite rightly. And this is to do with the argument that actually, when things go bad, the investment banks tend to always run with more of a a long trading book than a short one. It's the very nature of how most banks trade. And at some stage, there will be a tap on the shoulder. No matter how good the trader is, there will be a tap on the shoulder from either the head of trading or the head risk officer um, or the head of the bank saying, we've reached our maximum pain, our maximum loss threshold, um, and therefore we need to cut risk. And so they actually end up... It, this is always in the sell-off, that ends up pro-cyclically selling credit near the bottom. We love that as fund managers. We love being able to actually take advantage of that and pick off when the forced selling comes along. And that's one of the reasons why you should very rarely ever go all in in any one risk. You always want that room, that risk budget to be able to buy more. And is it possible to compare liquidity in fixed income markets with equities? Or is the to two totally different things? I would say they're very different. Um, so you can draw a bit of an analogy between high yield liquidity and that in mid cap UK equities in terms of the level and quantum you can trade of the more liquid ones. You can trade in a couple of million pounds worth at a time um, for either asset class, um, large corporate bonds. Um, you won't be able to trade in the same size as the um, FTSE 100. And then just like with AIM stocks, the illiquid corporate bonds are by appointment only and very much a traditional broking jobbing type market. And then, as alluded to at the very top end, government bonds are far more liquid than the vast majority of equities 
and trade on an incredibly tight bid offer. But one of the things that you have to remember with bonds being OTC traded, and this to me is one of the biggest issues in the whole fixed income market, is you get less price visibility in bonds, in corporate bonds, compared to equities. Mark-to-market pricing is a massive issue whenever a fund is either growing or shrinking or one is going through a patch of turmoil. Um, so, for example, in 2008-09, that credit crunch, there were huge disparities in where different fund managers were pricing the exact same bonds different different portfolios. The vast majority of fund selectors are completely all over this topic nowadays. And in their due diligence documents, they will almost always ask now, how many bonds are euphemistically manually priced um, and the process for doing so? Just to reassure any listeners to this podcast, none of our bonds at Lion Trust are manually priced. Okay. And finally, any signals that investors can look out for is this a uh, kind of sign of less liquidity coming? There tend to be just the normal risk signals such as libel dislocation or equities falling. It tends to be a very correlated market to credit spreads widening, as I mentioned, liquidity being a coward. But to try to wrap up and to say the key about liquidity is to divide it into two parts. There's the day-to-day management, which is the day job, managing um, trading a few million corporate bonds here or there with the sell side of the street. And to us, that's really what drives the capacity constraints on a fund. Can you still generate alpha with with those kinds of trades? The other part, and this is the part that's particularly topical, is the ability to liquidate. And that, and hopefully the message should be coming through loud and strong, um, that is driven by your least liquid, not your most liquid holdings. So you can have a portfolio of 20% government debt and 80% illiquid stuff and pretend you had loads of liquidity. If I owned 20% of that fund and the market turned, I'd sell that straight out and leave everyone else in the illiquid rump. The key is always being able to pro rata either grow your portfolio as we're doing at the moment very well at Lion Trust, or be able to shrink them in a pro rata sense rather than selling all your liquid holdings and leaving that a liquid rump. So corporate bonds are fundamentally less liquid, but if you stick to the relatively more liquid, you can always maintain a fund shape and never get stuck and never have to gate a fund. Okay, great. Thank you, Phil, for providing clarity about liquidity. That's great. And thank you to everyone for listening. We look forward to the next time.